Have you ever felt like the uncertainty, the unsureness, like on edge about the future? Like you don't know what's going to happen, what lies ahead, and it makes you uneasy. Maybe even has some fears kind of bubbling up inside, right? When we don't know things, when we don't know what the future holds, we can get anxious at times, especially if things are not going the way that we want in life. And so how do we figure this out? Like, how do we go through our days of navigating those times where we feel on edge about the future, where we feel uneasy about what is to come, or maybe we have fears and no matter how many times those fears go unrealized, we continue to make them, to cultivate them, to grow them. And so how then do we figure out where's God in any of that? How is God guiding us through? So for today, we are going to a moment between Jesus and the Pharisees and Sadducees, and then it'll transition to between Jesus and his disciples. And it's all about the future and uncertainty and what they are searching out because all of us are grabbing towards wanting certainty in our life. We want to know what's going to happen. How's it going to happen? But we also want it in our way, in the ways that we want things to work out. And so how do we begin to navigate that's connected to God? How does God guide us in those very uncertain times? So beginning in Matthew chapter 16, verses one through six, the Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus in order to test him. They asked him to show them a sign from heaven, but he replied, at evening, you say, it'll be nice weather because the sky is bright red. And in the morning, you say there will be bad weather because today the sky is cloudy. You know how to make sense of the sky's appearance, but you are unable to recognize the signs that point to what the time is. An evil and unfaithful generation searches for a sign, but it won't receive any except Jonah's sign. Then he left them and went away. When the disciples arrived on the other side of the lake, they had forgotten to bring bread. Jesus said to them, watch out and be on your guard for the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. All right, so here we get the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Usually those two groups are at odds with one another, but when it comes to Jesus, they seem to be able to unite on their dislike and wanting to trap him, trip him up. And so they ask for a sign. They're like, hey, I want you to do something because we want to know that you're legit. Here's the thing. They're just trying to trap him. There's no good way around this. And so Jesus changes the conversation. He's like, no, I know what you're up to. Let me change the conversation. And so he points out the fact that every time that they feel uncertain about their future, anytime those fears start to cultivate, they start to look for signs. They look to the sky. They look to the weather. And so they try to predict what in the world's going to happen that way. And here he's like, no, no, you guys are missing something big. You guys are missing something more about how to navigate through. And it's important for us to realize the Sadducees were those in power. They worked along with the Romans. The Romans said, okay, Sadducees, the Jews can stay in power in this manner. The Sadducees cultivated that relationship. A lot of people didn't like them because they thought that they were too close to the Romans. 
The Sadducees are fearful of the future, of losing that power, of losing that favor with Rome. And so they act out of those fears. One of the reasons why they don't like Jesus. And then the Pharisees, the Pharisees are all about the laws. Like, have you followed the letter of the law? Have you followed it exactly? Well, at least their interpretation of the law. And so they're so focused on that because they're fearful of being irrelevant. They're fearful of being irrelevant to others, to the people. They're fearful of what could happen to them if they don't follow the letter of the law. And so fear cultivates and has them focusing on signs like the sky and the weather. And Jesus is like, yeah, that's not what it's really about. You guys need to focus on something different. And then we move away from that, kind of. Jesus and his disciples, Jesus is like, I'm done with this conversation, let's go. And they go on, and they reach their place, and the disciples are like, uh-oh, we forgot the bread. We are going to be hungry. Like, this is a problem. They start to be fearful of what they have forgotten. And Jesus goes, hey, don't be like the Pharisees and the Sadducees now. And so for us, when we're thinking about when those times come, of when we get fearful, of when the, the future seems uncertain, when we're kind of on edge, when we don't know what's going to happen, or we don't like the way that things are shifting, what do we begin to focus on? What do we begin to like put our trust in? What are we kind of latching onto to get us through those moments? Are we just cultivating those fears further or are we looking for something else? Are we attaching ourselves to, thing, ourselves to things that maybe are unhelpful? Continuing on in verses 7 through 12. They discussed this among themselves and said, we didn't bring any bread. Jesus knew what they were discussing and said, you people of weak faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you don't have any bread? Don't you understand yet? Don't you remember the five loaves that fed the 5,000 and how many baskets of leftovers you gathered? And the seven loaves that fed the 4,000 and how many large baskets of leftovers you gathered? Don't you know that I wasn't talking about bread? But be on your guard for the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood what he wasn't, what he was telling them to be on their guard for, yeast used in baking bread. No, he was telling them to watch out for the teachings of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So they're like, oh, like you weren't being literal. And Jesus is like, yeah, no. But it's that moment, right? They're fearful. And he even reminds them of, I'm with you guys, and things have worked out. Things have worked out in certain ways that you could have never imagined. And so this whole notion of the yeast of the Sadducees and Pharisees is a notion of fear. Fear is like yeast, because it only takes a little bit of yeast and a whole big thing of flour to make bread rise. It doesn't take much. Just as it doesn't take much fear to give rise to all kinds of things. And so if what we allow to grow within us is unhelpful, if we are allowing that fear, if we're cultivating that fear, it can get much bigger than it needs to be. It can make situations far bigger than they were ever going to be. 
And so a moment of reflection of taking that step back and going, and Jesus is like, hey, wait a minute. Are you guys making this bigger than what it really is? Are you making what you don't have? Are you fearful of what might happen? Are you doing something here that actually cultivates the fear instead of going, wait a minute, I need to get perspective. I need to take a step back. And so for ourselves, when we feel those fears coming on, when we're on edge about the future, what are we focusing on and how is fear playing a part? Are we spending more time in the fear than in other things? Are we spending more time in things that maybe make the situation bigger than what it is? Are we spending time being guided by unhelpful, maybe life-taking things? Things that kind of pull the energy right out of us. Continuing on in verses 13 through 16. Now, when Jesus came to the area of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the human one is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. He said, and what about you? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. All right, so Jesus is changing his approach. Jesus is changing the conversation in this moment. He's kind of set the stage with the whole, like, what are you allowing to grow in your life that maybe is fearful, that makes actually what you are dreading, what you're nervous about, what makes it bigger than what it should be. And then he's like, okay, who do you guys say that I am? Who do people say it? And that's kind of interesting because people aren't quite sure who he is. They're like noticing certain attributes of Jesus that are like some of the prophets. Like it says, you've got some say John the Baptist, Elijah, others, Jeremiah, and one of the other prophets. This moment of going, wait a minute. Okay, some of the stuff that Jesus does, it looks a little bit like or reminds us of, but there's something different because there's no agreement. And then he turns the question on them. He's like, well, okay, who do you think that I am? And the other disciples are like, ah, we don't know. Like, I'm not quite sure, right? Because what do we get focused on? We may be getting focused on the wrong things or on things that aren't the most important. So there's still this confusion. And then Simon Peter, Peter shows up and he's like, I've got it. And he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And it's like, whoa, wait, Peter got some clarity right there. Or, or did he? Does he understand? What he's saying, it's possible that he understands a little bit of what he's saying, that he's like, wait a minute, there is something different about you, oh Jesus. Jesus has these qualities of being able to point to God constantly. Jesus is like in this moment of, he, he's always able to kind of shift towards forgiveness. He's always able to give some insight. He's always able to be like, how does God encompass your life? He's able to heal. And so in this moment, Peter is able to make a connection that there is absolutely a connection between God and Jesus and how God is encompassing our lives and how Jesus is the presence of God with them. Does he fully understand what that exactly means? Possibly not because of the way this story is going to continue. But in this moment, he's got some clarity. And so for ourselves, what kinds of conversations 
what different approaches, what different perspectives are able to change the conversation for us when we feel on edge, when we are uneasy about the future? What kind of brings us into a new perspective, a new way of thinking, a new way of discerning? It's a moment of going, wait a minute, I think there's something more to this, of seeing yet another side of the issue. Continuing on in verses 17 through 20. Then Jesus replied, Happy are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because no human has shown this to you. Rather, my Father who is in heaven has shown you. I tell you that you are Peter, and I'll build my church on this rock. The gates of the underworld won't be able to stand against it. I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Anything you fasten on earth will be fastened in heaven. Anything you loosen on earth will be loosened in heaven. Then he ordered the disciples not to tell anybody that he was the Christ. <laughs> Jesus is like, wow, happy are you, Simon, son of Jonah. This is the second time Jesus has mentioned Jonah, right? He mentioned it before. He mentioned it a little bit earlier where he was talking to the Pharisees and Sadducees and said, you won't receive any sign except Jonah's sign. And it's kind of like, we got to know what that means. So Jonah's sign, it's two things. First is that Jonah was told to go to the people of Nineveh and say, change your hearts and lives to God. And he didn't want to do that. He dragged his feet. He complained a lot. And what's interesting is he finally gets there in that message and they do. They change their hearts and lives. The second part of Jonah's sign is the time in the belly of the fish. And it's this whole thing where he spends three days because Jonah was running from talking to people saying, hey, change your hearts and lives. There's something more to life. Follow God. God's guidance is something. And that whole thing about the sign of Jonah right there with the belly of the fish, Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days. And there seems to be some connection with what Jesus is talking about with his own death and resurrection and the three days in the tomb. And so here, a moment of connecting all of it together, of going, all right, I think you're beginning to kind of get those connections of how God encompasses our life, of where we should be focused. Because that whole thing of the sign of Jonah, change your hearts and lives. Where is our focus when things aren't going well? Are we focused upon God who changes hearts and lives or are we focused upon despair? Are we focused upon what's not going right or are we focused upon where God is guiding and leading us, where God is bringing good out of the situation, where God is strengthening us? So Jesus like gives this praise, right? He says, wow, good job. And then he does something interesting. He renames Simon to Peter. He changes his name. And Peter in Greek means the rock. And so now Peter, Simon, becomes Peter the rock. Now, is it like Dwayne the Rock Johnson maybe? You know, um, he probably doesn't have as good of a workout routine as the rock does. But Peter is now being told something about who he is, about his understanding and how this understanding of who Jesus is begins to shape and mold him. And to think about the rock as something that is persistent, something that is strong. And Jesus says, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. That sense of community and that the, he's going to give them the keys to the kingdom. And he says that to Peter, but then he's going to say it to the others. 
And those keys to the kingdom of love, of peace, of joy, of forgiveness, help us to unlock the kingdom, to understand the kingdom of God, which is about how God encompasses our lives. And he's like, on that, that's what we're going to build community. Church is just about community, about people gathering together. And so here, it's like, wow, like something amazing is possible when we get focused upon the life and teachings of Jesus, when we get focused upon that love and that forgiveness, when we get focused upon peace and joy, when we're like, okay, when the unease and the fear kind of start to come into our lives, when it kind of tries to shift our energy that we push back and say, no, 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 I am going to resist that. I am going to follow Jesus in that love and that peace, in that joy and that forgiveness. That's where I'm headed. So it's a moment for all of us to think about how we come together and support one another in that, how we are able to shape. And then, and then he says, anything you loosen on earth will be loosened in heaven. Anything you fasten on earth will be fastened in heaven. It's like things that you never thought possible are going to encompass your... When we allow love to encompass our lives, we allow it to encompass us in every kind of aspect. And so here, a sense of widening our world, of widening our view, of widening our perceptions and our understandings of the world and one another when we get focused on God when we get focused on the teachings of Jesus, when we get focused on saying, you know what, I'm not going to let that fear rule my life any longer. Continuing on in verses 21 through 25. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he had to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and legal experts, and that he had to be killed and raised on the third day. Then Peter took hold of Jesus and scolding him, began to correct him. God forbid, Lord, this won't happen to you. But he turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You are a stone that could make me stumble. For you are not thinking God's thoughts, but human thoughts. Then Jesus said to the disciples, all who want to come after me must say no to themselves. Take up their cross and follow me. All who want to save their lives will lose them. But all who lose their lives because of me, we'll find them. So we go from Peter is renamed. He's called the rock. He is talked about as persistent, that they are going to persist as a community, that they are going to persist in holding those keys to the kingdom of love and peace and joy of being able to allow that community to allow God to encompass that community and now Peter shows us, Peter is not perfect. Peter is imperfect, just as we all are. And all of a sudden, as the conversation turns once again, as Jesus is like, no, things are about to get really difficult. There's about to be suffering. Things are not going the way that you think that they are going to go. That uncertainty and fear pop right back up. And that fear takes hold of Peter and Peter scolds and corrects Jesus. Now think about that for a minute. Peter scolds and corrects Jesus because Peter, in his fear, thinks that he knows more. 
Peter in his fear is judgmental. Peter in his fear is self-righteous. Peter in his fear wants to control. And Jesus responds to him, get behind me, Satan. It's not the first time Jesus has said that. He says it out into the wilderness. He says it when he's being tempted. And we can understand this a couple of ways. First is that when he says, get behind me, Satan, he's like, get out of my way. I have got work to do. I have got these, I've got a way of living. I am trying to teach. I am trying to show you a new way, Peter, and to the other disciples. But he's also saying, get behind me. So not only move out of my way, but get behind me. That sense of follow, come follow, come follow me. Now we would go, wow, what a way to say that. That's stark. But Jesus here is trying to get Peter off of this merry-go-round that he is on of right back into the fear. That's all he can think about. That's all he focuses on. And Jesus is like, hold up, buddy. Wait a minute. Come on. Get out of the way with those fears. Step aside with those fears and follow me in love. Follow me in peace. Follow me in joy. And so this moment is really one of trying to snap that thinking that has hindered the Pharisees and the Sadducees, that hinders Peter, that hinders the disciples, that can hinder all of us as we navigate this world. It's a moment of going, wait, wake up. And then he goes on to say, you are a stone that can make me stumble for you are not thinking God's thoughts, but human thoughts. Peter, what are you focused on? What did I just say about yeast, right? It's that moment of going, what are we focused upon? It's also, Jesus is now also trying to get us to challenge what about us do we need to get aside and move away? Because he goes on to further say, all who want to come after me must say no to themselves, take up their cross and follow me. All who want to save their lives will lose them. But all who lose their lives because of me will find them. Jesus here is talking about our ego. And how do our egos get in the way? And our egos feed on fear. They feed on fear and they... They try to make things the way that we want them. They try to control. They try to, to put down in such a way. And here Jesus is like, hold up, Peter. Get out of your own way. Your ego is getting in the way. A way for us to understand uh, ego, there's a, a book called Ego is the Enemy by the philosopher, also writer, Ryan Holiday, who says, an unhealthy belief in our own self in our own importance, arrogance, self-centered ambition. Peter's struggling right now with an unhealthy belief in his own importance. Right? He corrects and scolds Jesus. Hey Jesus, you're wrong. I disagree. What you just said, not happening. And Jesus is like, who hold up there? Wait a minute. But then also this sense of all who want to come after me must say no to themselves, take up their cross and follow me. All who want to save their lives will lose them, but all who lose their lives because of me will find them. Ryan Holiday goes on to say this about ego. Ego can't see both sides of the issue. 
It can't get better because it only sees the validation. Remember, vain men never hear anything but praise. It can only see what's going well, not what isn't. It's why you see, you might see egomaniacs with temporary leads, but rarely lasting runs. Think about it with Peter, right? He got that praise upon this rock. He got renamed. He could hear the praise, but he can't see both sides of the issue. He can't see the multiple aspects of the issue at hand, that the way that Jesus is like guiding of saying, we've got to focus upon love, we've got to focus upon peace, we've got to focus on joy, is not an easy task, and there will be suffering in that. There will be pain in that, but this is the way. And Peter is struggling to get out of his own way to understand it, to see it to experience it. But here's the thing. Peter won't stop trying. He won't stop trying, even though he's going to go on to deny Jesus, even though he is going to go on to struggle and to say other things that are absolutely crazy, and he will scold Jesus again. But he will be persistent in trying to follow the way of Jesus. He will be persistent in trying to set aside those fears. Not to say they won't come creeping back in or crashing over like a wave on top of them, but he will be persistent in trying. And so for ourselves, as we're thinking about that, of what we are persistent in focusing upon doesn't mean we don't get sidetracked at times, but what do we keep getting focused on that actually helps us when there is an uncertain, when the future seems a little iffy, when we are a little bit on edge, what do we focus upon when those fears come crashing in? How does this story of Jesus begin to help us navigate and guide us as we begin to look through, to see, to understand how God might be encompassing our lives, even when those fears so easily can get turned up inside of ourselves, so easily the future can seem scary when what lies ahead, we don't know. And so what we focus upon can make all the difference in the world to us. It can make or break us. It could have us living in love or being alone. It can have us peaceful or it could have us in chaos. It can have us in joy or in despair. Like what we focus upon, how we allow God to guide us through those moments can really make or break, can shift us in ways that we never expected. And so how will we allow this story of Jesus to challenge us, to encourage us, to comfort us, and to give us a new approach when those fears get turned up when we are on the edge, when we are uncertain of what lies ahead, how will we be challenged this day by the words of Jesus? Amen. Mm -hmm.